Pearl on Purpose Radio, episode number 11. Welcome back to another episode of Girl on Purpose Radio. My name is Vivian Tenorio. I am the former CEO of Signature Flan, turned radio and TV host. And each and every weekday, you are given the opportunity to join me and my amazing guest as we share our spirited stories of our successes, our failures, as well as incredible tips and insights for starting a business and finding fulfillment. We are definitely opening up our playbooks and paving the way for you to take our lead. Thank you for spending this time with me. Now let's get started. All right, you guys. So on this episode of Girl on Purpose, I have with me Sam Polk. He is the founder of Grocery Ships. And let me tell you, this interview is so interesting. You guys are going to love it. Now, um, I'm not even going to tell you what, what Grocery Ships is. I'm actually going to let you listen to the interview and get all of the information on what it is because I really want you to understand what it is, why he has created this nonprofit, and how you can be a part of it. Now, um, Sam was a Wall Street millionaire trader, and he walked away from that life to start this nonprofit. So you have to hear this story. Um, I think you guys are really going to be touched and moved and are going to want to be a part of this. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and get value out of it. Welcome back to another episode of Girl on Purpose. I am thrilled to introduce my guest today, Sam Polk. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on. I've been doing a lot of research on you and everything that I have found, I've been very impressed with. So Sam is the founder of Grocery Ships. He lived as a Wall Street millionaire and left it all behind. Sam lived most of his 20s as a trader on Wall Street and decided at 30 that he would walk away from that life. So today, Sam is a successful nonprofit entrepreneur. So Sam, take a couple of minutes, give everybody a little bit more information about your story and your new business. Yeah, so I left, I left Wall Street when I was 30. And it was a really difficult process because my whole life, I thought that money was going to fix me. And that making it to the top of Wall Street was sort of the answer to all my problems. And I never quite made it to the top, but I made it high enough to to kind of come to understand that I was trying to use money to fix something that was broken inside me and that money could never fix that. And uh, so I went through a long process of working with a counselor and kind of dealing with my issues um, enough so that I could kind of leave that world behind, um, which was really difficult. It took me, you know, a couple of years of planning to do it. And then afterwards, there was years of sort of doubting my choice and a lot of sort of feelings of withdrawal. And I'd pull up the newspaper and see, you know, people I had worked with making millions. And it was really hard. And I mean, not, you know, it just was hard. And um, after a couple of years of that, I sort of, I sort of believe that what happened is I kind of let go of the belief systems of that culture that I was a part of. And I uh, came to sort of a better sense of sort of what was both important to me and also, 
you know, really rediscovered my humanity, for lack of a better word. And that turned into starting a nonprofit with my wife um, that's called Grocery Ships, which means scholarships for groceries. And we work with low-income families struggling with obesity. And uh, after families apply and if they're accepted into our program, they go through a six-month program where they receive financial assistance to buy healthy groceries and uh, as well as education and support over six months to uh, hopefully allowed themselves to kind of to transform their relationship with food and eating and health and, um, you know, become healthier. I love the idea of the grocery ships. Um, we'll touch base a little bit more about that in a second. But as all interviews, everybody wants to know how you walked away from millions of dollars every year. So a lot of Americans, that's the dream, right? The dream is to become a millionaire and live that life and have options and have freedom. And it seems like you had that life. Was the pain just too much that you just walked away? I mean, how do you do that? Most of us can't grasp having that kind of money, having that kind of a life. So can you just take us to the process? Like at the last couple of weeks that you're deciding I'm walking away, like what is that like? I mean, frankly, it was like terrifying. It was like I felt like I was going to step off the edge of the world, you know, into complete anonymity. Um, one thing I do want to say is that, you know, people really do believe this about, um, you know, money being the answer to all things. And I do believe that money is like a positive thing and a part of a balanced life. And I do understand that, you know, me, I want to take care of my wife and take care of my future kids. And and that is important. Um, at the same time, you know, Thoreau talked about how we always look at the just one side of the uh, balance sheet when it comes to work. And we look at kind of what we're getting but not the sort of opportunity cost of it all. And the opportunity cost for me was I really was more of like a spiritual question. And I really came to understand that my whole life I had been, you know, out there for myself, you know, like I, you know, I, I'm a white guy that, you know, grew up in a middle class neighborhood and ended up being smart enough to get into an Ivy League school and had a tremendous amount of privileges and advantages. And what seemed right for me for a long time was to use all those to accumulate as much money as possible. And then I got to this place on Wall Street where, you know, I really just started to feel like something like something was missing inside me. And, um, you know, some of that was sort of these moments of epiphany. But really, I think it was the product of the eight years that I had spent kind of working with a counselor and dealing with some of my childhood stuff and, you know, really sort of healing some of the, the things that I believe were behind. You know, I called it a wealth addiction in the article I wrote for the New York Times. Um, and that's sort of a metaphor for what it felt like. But it really I really do have this belief that like, all these things that these sort of fantasies that I lived under the fantasy of money and the fantasy of power really stemmed from this sort of brokenness inside me. And, you know, once I was able to heal that, then I was able to, you know, see a little bit of uh, Wall Street with a different perspective. So you mentioned the article, the New York Times article that you wrote. It went viral. I mean, everybody has read it. And if you haven't, you should. It's a great article. So it's titled For the Love of Money. What were you trying to accomplish by writing that and putting it out there? 
you know, I, I was trying to accomplish a couple things, although let me say that I had no idea how big it was going to be. I mean, I wrote it and then sent it in the op-ed in New York Times, and there was a process, but I was sort of as stunned as anybody that they put it on the front page um, of the Sunday Review section. But really what I wanted to do was sort of, you know, there's a Jerry Maguire, you know, and Jerry Maguire, he writes this memo, and it's like the things that we think but do not say. And that's sort of in some sense what I was trying to do. Like I was talking about, you know, making millions and being at this sort of part of our society where people think that you have it made. And I was talking about how small I felt and how insecure and how really the overwhelming feel I, feeling I had was jealousy of how much other people made that sort of worked with me. And I thought that was important to say because – you know, for a couple of reasons. One, I do think it's sort of a problem with our world right now, right? Like the people at the top keep kind of accumulating more and there's no sense of having enough. And I say that not with judgment, but from identification, just that's, that's how it was for me. Um, but I also wanted to sort of like, I hope to sort of like both humanize Wall Street people to a world that loves to vilify them, but also provide, and I think this is the most important, like provide an example of a different path um, you know, there's so many people on Wall Street, and you know, your audience may or may not believe that, but there there are so many people on Wall Street living lives of quiet desperation, where they have everything that the world tells them that they want, and they're miserable, and they feel trapped. And I honestly believe that part of it is, you know, I sort of believe that a, a balanced life, you know, includes you know money and success and whatever, but it also includes you know connecting with other people and making the world a better place. And there really is a sort of in the Wall Street culture is this complete focus on money and accumulating money above all else without consideration of other things. And I think that there's a lot of people that are really, you know, unhappy on Wall Street. And I don't say that to sort of garner sympathy for those people, although I do think that you know, one of the nice things about my article is that people sometimes for the first time really came to see Wall Street folks as, you know, you know, flawed human beings like we all are. But also to say like, you know, hey, Wall Street guys, like there's there's something missing. And this is the path that I took to find that. OK, so should we not be trying to start businesses out of passion, but also um to make as much money as we can so that we can continue to do um, and affect more people and do better in the world? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of capitalism. And what, I, what I'm what i not sort of a fan of is, um, you know, this belief that there's never enough money. You know, I think we live in this world that has a single definition of what enough money is, and that definition is a billionaire. And so we see this stuff with like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates saying, oh, okay, 50% giving pledge. And we all sort of rightly say, hey, if you're a billionaire, that's great. You've made it. It would be good to give back half your money. We all support that. Um, but I think that sort of changing the world and changing businesses and, you know, changing the landscape of the world, I think it is important that it starts with passion. And I think that money is definitely part of it. But if money is the only answer, like it was for me, let me just say it in a different way. Like I spent eight years trying to make as much money as I could. And I think that I did a good job of making money and a bad job of really doing anything else that helped the world. So you know, if frankly, if you're starting a business that you think is going to change the world and make the world a better place for people and make a lot of money in the meantime, go for it. 
I'm just here to tell you that I've come to believe that there is such thing as enough money and that money isn't just this ephemeral abstract idea that is a scorecard for, you know, advantaged, you know, successful people competing with each other, but that it actually does have some real impact to the world. And sometimes I think that we get caught up in this race to accumulate more and more, and we forget that actually the $50,000 in your Fidelity account, you know, while it may make you breathe a little bit easier, like it did for me, it also actually could feed about, you know, a thousand families for a year. And I think that's an important translation that needs to happen. Okay. So do you feel now that you have grocery works and you guys are doing some amazing things with that, I'm sorry, grocery ships, um, do you believe that now that that is successful and it's moving forward, do you believe that now you're on purpose, now you are doing something that is bigger than just money? And if so, what does that feel like now? How is that different from Wall Street? I guess I'd put it to you this way, like, you know, for one, I don't take a salary from grocery ships, so I do know that, you know, you can put in a lot of, and don't get me wrong, I have savings and I can live off of that, and I have been incredibly lucky in that regard. So I'm not telling a poor me story. What I am trying to illustrate is that I think that, you know, I think there is this belief in this culture that if we don't motivate people with money, then they're all going to be indolent and lazy, and I personally just don't believe that's true. Um, And then I would say with grocery ships, like, yeah, I do feel like I'm doing something, uh, I'm making a contribution to the world in a way that I wasn't as a Wall Street trader. Um, And it's not that it feels like electric uh, or or even, frankly, that, you know, important to the world in any big way. It just feels like, honestly, like I'm doing, how shall I put it, like I'm doing whatever it was that I was meant to do on the planet. Um, And for me, I think that sort of looks like, you know, using all the things that I've been given, which are, you know, my mind for one, but also the sort of experiences that I've dealt with in terms of addiction and child abuse and um, some of the kind of spiritual um, journey that I've taken and using all sort of elements of me and sort of manifesting something uniquely into the world. And, you know, honestly, I'm proud of it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of grocery ships in a way that I was never proud, as proud of as being the, you know, senior distress trader at one of the largest hedge funds in the world. I like that. I like that. So, you know, doing research for this episode, um, I watched a lot of interviews that you've done. And everybody, of course, everybody wants to talk about the money and how do you walk away from it and you made so much of it and all the people that you mingled with and all the restaurants you got into. But you always bring up this lady and you always bring up these spiritual lessons. And I haven't found an interview yet that anybody follows up with. Well, tell us about that. Like I was the entire time I'm going, what did he learn? Like, that's what I want to know. What did you learn? Who is this lady? And what were the tools that she gave you that just opened your soul? You know, what's what's crazy about it is that she is this, uh, she lives in Santa Monica, and she's this like really tall blonde woman, but she actually comes from sort of mixed blood Native American background. And so she teaches this sort of 
I mean, I don't, what she would call it was probably some combination of um, psychology and also Native American belief systems. And what's really crazy about that is like, while she was sort of working with me and we talk on the phone every day, it wasn't like she laid out these tools and I was like, oh, okay, if I believe this, then everything will be all right. But what she was teaching me over time that I only kind of look back on now is a belief system that was completely antithetical to the world that we live in. And I believe that we live in this world that says, you know, Jamie Dimon is more valuable than the homeless guy on the street. And she doesn't believe that. She taught me this belief system that said everybody is equal and nobody is more valuable. Nobody is better than we're all sort of on. Even if we sort of have experience that other people don't, that just means that we're on different parts of a circle on a journey that we're all on together. And. You know, it may sound hokey, and it certainly did to me when she first started talking about it, but I'll tell you what I really believe she taught me was she taught me to move from seeing the world from my head to experiencing the world from my heart and really, like, you know, and another way to put what she's been teaching me always has been, like, I think the ultimate goal is humility and not this like false modesty or I'm not not good enough or anything like that. She was really teaching me just to see people uh, as best as I can from where from their own shoes and how they see the world and come to even more important from my own side to try to really understand how my behavior impacts other people and to really take accountability for that and so i'll tell you that for example on wall street if you think about it like you know one of the things a lot of my friends on wall street got really upset at the article and they said you know you're criticizing me and i'm not a bad person and i don't i do things right and i i don't break any laws and and you know what they're right you know, they work for, let's say they work for Goldman Sachs and they go in every day and they trade mortgage bonds and they don't break any laws and they do what they're told by their bosses. And they, you know, they frankly do something that the whole world has told them is their definition of success for a long time. But one of the things that I think they're missing, and it's because I realized that I was missing it, is that just by participating in the system as it is currently structured, and it's a system which really says, you know, kids born to rich families are worth more than kids born to poor families, and those kids deserve investing in while kids in poor families don't deserve investing in, that simply by being at the upper end of that scale and continuing to use all the benefits that I had been given only to enrich myself and other people that had been similarly advantaged, that we were perpetuating this system that, you know, creates simultaneously the richest country in the world and 50 million uh, Americans on food stamps, many of those children. And so that sort of, it was really her teachings, which helped me see like, hey, you know what, actually, if I really am taking accountability for my behavior, then I can't just look at it from the terms of, am I doing something illegal? But I have to look at it from a bigger sense, which is that where in the system am I standing and where I stand, you know, says as much as the sort of politics that I espouse. You know, her teaching you and you becoming enlightened and it's just the ripple effect, all the people that those teachings are now affecting and will affect the bigger this grocery ships get. So you incorporate some of that into the grocery ships? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing about... Grocery ships is like, you know, the world is full of, you know, Wall Street guys that make a million dollars and then think that 
somehow that means that they're sort of incredibly smart and so they can go then fix other industries by applying their brains to it. And the grocery ships is actually quite the opposite of that. Like, you know, where I try to meet these families that we work with is I say, okay, well, we do have some education um, and tools that, you know, are clearly useful and are, you know, not sort of taught both in underserved communities, but also across America in general. But really the core of our program is a completely heartfelt uh, thing as opposed to like an intellectual thing. Like we really sit with these families and we talk about the struggles that we're all having with food. And it's never like an expert coming in sort of explaining from a mountaintop how food needs to, you know, how health needs to be treated. But instead it's people like me who are literally in the in the mud as far as, you know, health goes. I mean, you know, I'm I'm in pretty good shape now, but I've struggled with food my whole life. I've been on a thousand diets. It's like a daily slash weekly struggle. And when I get stressed, I eat more and I eat worse. And when things are, you know, when things go badly, I do the same. And, you know, it's always sort of like, you know, my eating is sort of a reflection often of my sort of like spiritual condition. And that's sort of the ideas that I bring to these families, but also with what I hope is like deep humility to say, by the way, this stuff is really hard for me. And I'm a white guy that lives in Westwood that can go to Whole, Whole Foods whenever I want. And, you know, these families sort of live in a world that I frankly don't understand because I've never been exposed to it. And the one thing I'm sure of is that they have been given a burden heavier than I have to carry in their lives. And so what that sort of looks like in grocery ships is really like, you know, we have this sort of really well thought out strategy and I can talk to funders about kind of what percentage change I hope to accomplish or we hope to accomplish. But really, to be honest with you, that's all bull. And really what I think that the sort of benefit of this group is, you know, providing the structure of a group of families that can support each other um, and empowering themselves to sort of change their lives in whatever pace both they want to and sort of works for them given, you know, the burdens that they have to carry in their lives. Okay, so how do you, how do you scale a nonprofit? Oh, scaling, actually, we designed it to be like very, very scalable. Like, you know, our, if you think about what we need, right, we, the way we proliferate is through partner organizations. So we go to a partner and say, hey, you're already embedded, you're a nonprofit embedded in the community. And so we need you to, or we, we would ask that you recruit families to see, to an information session to see if they want to apply to our program. And then if we have enough families that want to start a program that you provide us space to meet in. And that's really all we need is that space because the only things that we need are teachers to come in and sort of lead the classes. And right now that's me and a woman that works with me named Angela. But as we get up and going, we'll be training teachers. Um, but those teachers, we hope, will come from, you know, the graduate classes of grocery ships. So it will be people from those communities being trained then to teach other families sort of what their own experience is. And the other thing we need is money and money for groceries and what that looks like is about $100 a week per family to buy incredibly healthy groceries, uh, mostly whole plant foods. And that's just a function of, 
what what grocery stores are in the area, or if there's not good enough grocery stores, then we sort of use our purchasing power, which is to say, you know, each grocery ship's group, um, which is 10 families meeting for 25 weeks, is is approximately $25,000 in purchasing power. So can we go to a corner store and say, hey, if you guys can just stock these and these healthy foods, then we will bring our business to you for six months. So it's actually a pretty easily scalable system if it works. And we're just, you know, in the, you know, early stages of our pilot program. So I guess we'll we'll sort of see see that first before we see whether it can scale. Okay, so it's in the pilot phase right now. When do you start kind of branching this out to other locations? Or are you going to be branching this out worldwide? Well, look, I think that, you know, right now we are focused on low-income families as a nonprofit because I believe that, frankly, those families have the least amount of resources and that that's sort of not fair on a general level. Um, but I also know that, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a white guy from Westwood that struggles with food, and I'm not alone. There's plenty of, you know, the 70% of America is overweight or obese, and it's not just in low-income areas. And so we have a lot of plans for, say, if this curriculum really does prove to be effective for scaling it both on a corporate wellness platform. So, you know, go into companies and say, okay, first of all, your employees need health stuff. You know, we can provide that, but also just know that if you choose us as opposed to other competitors, your money will then be used for these nonprofit families down in Compton, you know. Um, we can also do grocery ships group in high-income areas. I mean, I don't know sort of what your socioeconomic or relationship with food sort of basis is, but I have a lot of friends that are sort of on the treadmill of food that we've all sort of been on our whole lives, which is we're 10 or 30 pounds overweight, depending on the month, and we're always sort of struggling with it and always on diets and never quite getting to the weight that we want to be at and never feeling as good as we want to feel and always struggling with the foods that we know are dangerous, but we continue to eat. And, you know, we wanted to provide this group, this sort of platform called Grocery Ships that you know, takes a different tack than things like Weight Watchers or OA or Jenny Craig, which are sort of, you know, those brands to me at least are sort of like shaming. Like I've never heard somebody like proudly say, I'm a member of Weight Watchers, you know, (laughs) but we wanted to say, okay, maybe grocery ships is a way to say, is this like, you know, cool, fresh, educational brand that people can be proud of that really comes from the position that says, hey, by the way, everybody, you're struggling with weight and health, and that is bull because because we all and, – and you're blaming yourself for it. And you feel like it's your fault and your own lack of willpower, and that's just false. You know, we grew up in a clearly toxic, obesogenic food culture that is – hitting everybody equally badly, except worse on the low income areas. And so you feeling like it's an issue of willpower is just mistaken. Actually, it's both an issue of education and also now, you know, us kind of collectively taking responsibility back to ourselves and saying, hey, despite this food culture, we want to get healthy and grocery ships is the way to do that. I am completely impressed. I'm on board. When you're coming to Texas, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Let me know. Yeah, absolutely. So tell the listeners how we can support your cause. I mean, come to groceryships.com. There's a place to volunteer. There's a way to contribute um, financially, which is always appreciated. And um, yeah, we just love to hear from you. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have really enjoyed myself. I know you're really busy and I really appreciate you sharing about uh, grocery ships and just the insights that you have found and the enlightenment that you have. So thank you very much.
Well, thank you so much for asking me to be here. Yeah, you have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so that was my interview with Sam, the founder of Grocery Ships. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Girl on Purpose. I have had the most amazing week just interviewing some really, really impressive entrepreneurs. So you guys have a lot of great shows coming up. So thank you guys for joining me today. And I hope you come back tomorrow. Before I leave, I do want to do a little shout out for one of my longtime followers. Um, I just want to say thank you to Melissa Puentes for always being a cheerleader for me. And I just want her to know that I appreciate her and that her support does not go unnoticed. So thank you, Melissa. All right, you guys, that's all I have for you today. I will see you tomorrow.